Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us today to celebrate Easter. And I think this is like one of the most important days to remind us that even when life is uncertain, God is not. And this is such an important reminder for us because we've been in this season where many of us thought, hey, things are pretty much under control and the future's bright. And then literally in a matter of a few weeks or even days, everything just seems out of control and there are more questions than answers. Now, here's the reality. We're not the first people to experience this. In fact, around AD 28, there were two brothers, James and John, and their fishing partners, Peter and Andrew, that because of an incredible fishing miracle they experienced, they leave everything and they follow Jesus. And they follow, not because they had all the answers to all their questions about how they caught all these fish through this miracle, but because what Jesus did through that miracle, while it was unexplainable, it was absolutely undeniable. Now, how that relates to us today is this. Those of us who follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we believe something that is unexplainable, but it is also undeniable. See, what we celebrate at Easter, it is absolutely the foundation of our faith, which means Christianity isn't founded on a belief system. Christianity isn't founded on a collection of moral teachings. No, Christianity is founded on an event. Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Don't miss that. Christianity is founded on an event. Jesus' resurrection from the dead that was witnessed by people and was recorded in history. To be specific, it was witnessed by over 500 people who saw him alive after they saw him die. And some of them, they wrote accounts about it. Now, here's the thing. Some of you that are with us today, you, you don't consider yourself a Jesus follower. And maybe part of the reason is you find this whole resurrection thing completely unexplainable. And you know what? That, that's really understandable. Like who in their right mind believes that dead men walk out of their graves? Like how does that happen? So if you're full of doubt, you just need to know, hey, you're in good company because Peter and Andrew and James and John, they had a hard time believing it too. In fact, so did the rest of Jesus' followers. I mean, think about it. These were men who left everything behind for Jesus. They left their hometowns. They left their families. They left their jobs and their sources of income. They spent three years following Jesus around Galilee and Judea, all because they believed that he was who he said he was, the Messiah. And they believed that by committing their lives to him, that they would find greater purpose and prestige and position and power in the kingdom that they believed that he had came to establish here on this earth. But don't miss this. In less than 24 hours, their whole world got turned upside down. Jesus, who they considered to be their king, their teacher, their friend, he was arrested, he was sentenced to die. And they felt, I'm sure, misled, disillusioned, frightened, scared. Maybe in their minds, it had all been for nothing. And so they did what most of us would have done. They unfollowed Jesus. 
In fact, they ran away. They denied knowing him. They, they even hid in the shadows. Think about it. Earlier in the week, this same group of men, they led the way as hundreds of people crowded the streets of Jerusalem and they shouted praise and they celebrated Jesus as the coming king. But then just a few short days later, nobody in all of Jerusalem believed Jesus is the Messiah, let alone God in human flesh. I mean, you could not find a single follower of Jesus that would have believed that he would rise again. Here's why. They all assumed they got it wrong. They all assumed that they had been fooled. Because here's the reality. God doesn't get crucified on a Roman cross. The Messiah doesn't die with common criminals. But Jesus was dead. And with him died the hopes and the dreams of Peter and Andrew and James and John and all the other disciples. Listen, the man they believed in, the man they had put all their hope in was dead. So what would they believe now? Well, what would their future be? And really, here's what happened. For three days, John and Peter, they hole up in this room and they try to figure out what went wrong and where they need to go from here. I mean, they've lost everything they believed in. And now they have to start over. But early on the morning of the third day, as they're trying to figure out how to move on and relaunch their fishing business, they, they hear this knock on the door. And John, who was like the closest friend of Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry, he wrote an account of that morning, and he gives us the, these details. Notice what he says in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. He says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, I don't want you to miss the significance of what's happening here. See, with this statement, John isn't trying to start a religion or turn Jesus into a legend. He's just telling a story. He's telling us what happened firsthand. And this little statement here about Mary Magdalene, it proves it. See, in first century Judea, a woman's testimony, while this is not right, a woman's testimony is not the way you should treat ladies. It was not considered credible. So, for example, if your neighbor stole your cow and one of the ladies at your house, she saw that, you could not call her into court as an eyewitness because the judge would not accept her statement as credible evidence. So, when John tells us that the very first witness to Jesus' resurrection was a woman, we know he's not making this up. Because see, if he wanted to start a religion or turn Jesus into a legend, he would have used a man. He, he would have used what they would have considered in that day as a credible witness to discover that Jesus had been raised. But he tells us that Mary made the discovery because that's what really happened. In fact, listen to the conclusion that Mary comes to. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Now, the reason she says this last statement, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him is because there was no expectation that Jesus had raised from the dead. There was none. Mary assumed what we all would have assumed if we had been there that day, that somebody 
took his body. In fact, you could say it this way, nobody expected no body. Like at this point, none of Jesus' followers still believed that he was who he said he was or that he would do what he said he would do. Nobody was marching through the street shouting, hey, he's alive, he's alive, this is the third day, this is the day he promised he's alive. Like nobody expected no body. So Peter and John, they, they run to the tomb because they're curious. And John gives us all these details about how Jesus' burial garments are there. There's no body. But again, they weren't expecting a resurrection. So they go back and they find the other disciples to tell them what they saw. But nobody's convinced until later that night when John tells us this happened. Notice what he says next. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. So they've killed Jesus and now they've taken his body and so now they are filled with fear and they're behind locked doors because maybe they're coming after them next to kill them to take them out so they are with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders Jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you and I'm sure for many of these disciples when they heard this line peace be with you it reminded them of other times when Jesus said to them, peace be to you. Notice what happens next. After he said this, he showed them his hands and he showed them his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I don't want you to miss this because see, the disciples... They saw Jesus crucified on the cross and they concluded at that point in time, he's not worth believing in. You know what happened? They did not change their minds until they saw Jesus with their very own eyes. They didn't change their minds until a resurrected Jesus was undeniable to them. Now, here's the reality. They couldn't explain this. They couldn't make sense of this and they sure didn't expect it but they made the most rational decision they could make because here's the thing. What's unexplainable should never outweigh what's undeniable. See, they decided we can't explain how we watched him die and now he's standing here. We, we don't have all the answers, but we also, we can't deny it. Like I can touch his nail-scarred hand. I can see his sword-pierced side. So what's unexplainable will not be outweighed by what's undeniable. Now, here's the reality. You and I, we make this same choice all the time. You believe what you see. And that's what John and his friends did. But it took seeing with their own eyes to believe. It took seeing with their own eyes to trust. It took seeing with their own eyes to decide that Jesus was so worth believing in again. Now, here's why this is so important for us on this day. It's why so many of us who call ourselves Christ followers, 
follow Jesus. See, we don't follow Jesus because of what he taught. We don't follow Jesus just because we think he's got the best belief system of any religious leader, even though you hear us say from time to time, you know, following Jesus will make your life better and make you so much better at life. We follow Jesus because the evidence is overwhelming that he died on a Roman cross, that he was buried in a borrowed tomb for three days, and then he rose from the dead and was seen by over 500 witnesses, including John and James and Peter and Andrew and Matthew and many others. See, we follow Jesus because these men wrote their accounts of his resurrection while eyewitnesses were still alive and could have refuted the account easily if it were to have been wrong. And here's the thing, we follow Jesus because his disciples went from being behind locked doors, hiding in fear and not believing in Jesus to just a few weeks later, standing in front of the very men who killed Jesus and saying, listen, you killed him, God raised him, we saw him. And the result of that was their threats wouldn't shut them up, the beatings wouldn't shut them up, imprisonment wouldn't shut them up. Ultimately, their execution wouldn't shut them up. They refused to deny not a belief or a teaching or a religion. They never made it about that. They refused to deny what they had seen and heard and experienced with their own eyes, and they were never the same again. In fact, about 50 to 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus, the apostle John is an old man. He's the last one living of Jesus' 12 disciples. And he writes another letter to a group of Jesus followers, giving them again the eyewitness account of what he experienced with Jesus. See, this is from a guy who was at the cross, who watched Jesus die. He, he was in the tomb when it was empty three days later. He was in the room when Jesus showed up for the very first time and said, peace, it's me. Listen to what he says about Jesus. First John chapter 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, referring to Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. And then he goes on. The life appeared, referring to Jesus here. We have seen it and testified to it, and we have proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And this statement from John is a reminder some 50 to 60 years later. He's saying, listen, I'm telling you. I'm not telling you anything that's religion, religious fiction. I'm not telling you anything that was designed to start a movement. I'm telling you, we were there. Jesus appeared to us. We saw him with our own eyes. We heard him with our ears. We touched him with our hands. I, I know it's unexplainable, but it is so undeniable. Like he was dead and he walked out of that grave. Death could not keep him. The grave could not hold him. And John is saying, I'm declaring, I'm proclaiming that to you. Now, here's the deal. If you find it hard to believe in the resurrection, you've got to understand, the disciples did too at first. But here's what John is calling us to. 
You owe it to yourself to explore the evidence and examine the proof. In fact, what the Apostle John is doing is he's inviting you to do that because everything about your relationship with God, it hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ because here's the reality. If Jesus walked out of that tomb, then it becomes personal to you. If Jesus walked out of that tomb, then here's the reality. You can believe again in the midst of uncertainty because there's someone worth believing in. And then John, after he proclaims this again, he explains why this matters so much to you and to me personally. So I just want to take the next few minutes to talk about this. Listen to why this matters. First John chapter 2, verse 2, John referring to Jesus here, he says, he is the atoning sacrifice. We're going to come back to that idea in just a moment. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So I just want to explain this just as clearly and simply as possible. In fact, if you're following along on the talk notes on our app, there are three statements that I'd love for you to look at with me. And we're also going to put them on the screen. You may want to write them down because these three statements remind us that Jesus changed everything with his atoning sacrifice. Now, here's the reality is, as we unpack these next three statements, some of you have already made the decision to receive this gift of forgiveness through Jesus' atoning sacrifice. And, and these statements are to remind you of why Easter matters so much. And others of you are still trying to figure it out. And, and these statements are going to help you understand what you need to consider. And then some of you, you're ready to accept Jesus' forgiveness today and you realize that Jesus is your atoning sacrifice and this is how you accept his forgiveness. So this is going to really define for us. So here's the first statement. I freely acknowledge that I've not lived up to the standards of a perfect, holy God. Now here's the thing. I don't think this one's hard for most of us to acknowledge. Most of us, we, we know that we're not perfect. I mean, just forget God's standards. We, we don't even live up to our own standards all the time, which is why a payment or another way of saying it, an atoning sacrifice is necessary because what sin does, it creates this gap between you and God. God is perfect and you're not, we're not. So you can't be more perfect some of the time to make up for being less perfect the rest of the time and somehow that balances all out. Think about it. Every sin, what it does, it creates this debt between you and God. And, and intuitively, you kind of know this. I mean, see, intuitively, we kind of realize that and therefore we think all of our wrongdoings must be paid for. It's why we try to make up for things that we did wrong. I mean, think about it. If God gave someone who hurt you or wronged you a pass, your emotional reaction would be, I'm furious about that. But think about this. For the same reason, God can't give you a pass for your sins and your wrongdoing. Someone always has to pay for sin and wrongdoing. Now, I want you to hold on to that thought for just a moment. I'm going to give you the second one. And, and the second one is a little bit more difficult for us to emotionally accept. And that is this. I choose to abandon my efforts to earn God's love and forgiveness. 
Now, here's why this one's more difficult for some of us to accept because many of us think, well, I need to do something to make up for my wrongdoing or my sin. And if I do enough good things, then I can make up for all the things I messed up. See, it's what we kind of do when um, you show up late for a date. You, you self-atone with flowers and kind of a, honey, just order whatever you want tonight kind of attitude, isn't it? Or it's, it's what you kind of do, the self-atoning thing is when you eat too many sweets, you self-atone like with extra time on the treadmill or exercise. That's the self-atonement plan. But you can't self-atone for your sin. Think about it this way. How many good things do you need to do? Like, where's the line that shows you you've been good enough to pay for and make up for all your sins and your wrongdoing? And here's the reality. You don't know. You'll never know. You can't undo what you did. You can't close the gap between you and God. There's, there's no way to do this. See, you and I, we owe God a debt that we cannot pay, and no amount of self-improvement or self-atonement or good works can fix that which is why this next statement is so important. And that is this, I humbly ask that Christ's payment for my sin be applied to all my wrongdoings. See, this is where Jesus' death and resurrection, it becomes so personal to you. See, when John described Jesus as an atoning sacrifice, here's what he was saying. Somebody has to pay for your sin. Somebody has to meet God's demands for justice. So Jesus came and he lived the perfect life you could not live. And then he said to God, okay, now take the penalty for all their sin and put it on me. Jesus said, I'll pay the debt they can't pay. I'll bridge the gaps they can't bridge. And then he rose again from the dead to prove to us that he accomplished just that. And because of that, he offers you forgiveness, your sin debt, your wrongdoing debt being completely canceled. I mean, think about this statement. It's applied to all my wrongdoings. So not only does he offer you forgiveness, your debt being, your sin debt being canceled, and on top of that, you're invited by God to live free of your sin if you just trust that Jesus was your atoning sacrifice. Now, here's the thing. If you agree with all three of those statements and you've never accepted Jesus' atoning sacrifice for your sin, then today is your day. If you've made this decision at some point in your past, if you're taking notes, I'd love for you just to write that day down to remind you that all of your sin were atoned for by God. All of them were forgiven. All of those were erased. And that's why we celebrate Easter. But if you're making this decision for the very first time today, the decision to accept Jesus' atoning sacrifice as a payment for all your sin debt and follow him, then if you're taking notes, man, I'd love for you to write that date down somewhere. Now, here's the thing about this decision. Don't forget to let us know this so that we can help you with some next steps in following Jesus and understanding what it means to live forgiven with no shame or no guilt before God. And one of the ways you can let us know that is through the Connect card that's on the app, that's on our um, RCC app, or, or you can send even a prayer request to us and say, hey, I, I made this decision today 
to accept Jesus' atoning sacrifice for my sin because I believe he died and he rose again to pay the price for my sin. Here's, here's our challenge to you today. Don't let what's unexplainable outweigh what's undeniable. Because see, the reality is you can believe again in the midst of uncertainty because there's someone worth believing in. Jesus died and rose again to pay the penalty for your sin. And if you've chosen to receive that gift, then here's the good news for you today. If that's the decision you're making today, then these words are written on your heart, forgiven and accepted by God. And God wants you to feel that. And God wants you to experience that. And God wants you to know that. And I'm telling you, if you've made that decision today, it's the most important decision you'll ever make. And you'll never be the same again because you can live life now free from sin and shame because you have been forgiven and you have been accepted by your heavenly father because of Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross. And that's why we celebrate Easter. It's why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. God, for many of us, this is a day when we are reminded of how much you love us and how much you care that you came to be the atoning sacrifice. And God, we, we believe in that because we believe that you died and you rose again. And God, there are, are people listening right now who are making that decision to say, Jesus, I'm choosing today to follow you. And the reason I'm following you, Jesus, is, is because I believe that you died and that you rose again and that your death on the cross was the atoning sacrifice for all of my sin and all of my wrongdoing. So thank you for coming. Thank you for forgiving me. I ask you to come in my heart, be my Lord and my Savior and my sin forgiver. Thank you, God, for forgiving me and accepting me as your child. God, I thank you for every person who's making this step. Also pray for every one of us who are followers of Jesus that today would be a true celebration of what that you have done for us through your death and resurrection. A reminder that all of our sins have been paid for because of your atoning sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus, for this day that we celebrate your incredible love, and your acceptance of us as your children. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. Hey, everyone, thank you so much for celebrating Easter with us. Don't forget to celebrate with your children. If you have children, go to our website and you can get resources. And we have a special bonus for you today, something called Easter Jam. You'll want to do that as a family together as you continue to celebrate our resurrected Lord and Savior. Hey, thank you so much. We'll see you Wednesday evening, 6 o'clock.